If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 10, where today we're going to continue this series uh, in uh, what we've entitled as the four G's uh, by looking at the truth that God is good so we don't have to look elsewhere. So if you were with us last week, I shared that this is a series that we did years and years ago, but we've come back around to it, and, uh, and, and we're going to be spending four total weeks looking at these four truths about God, and they are as follows. God is great, so you, I don't, you and I don't have to be in control. That's what we looked at last week. Today we see that God is good, so you and I don't have to look elsewhere. And we're going to see that God is gracious, so you and I don't have to prove ourselves. And then we're going to close out this series by looking at the reality that God is glorious, so you and I don't have to fear others. And so last week, we did three things, really, in our time together to kind of kick this series off. First, uh, we laid out, again, that while we've previously done it, I believe that it is good for us as God's people to go back and be reminded about these four truths regarding who God is. Because I believe that they are foundational for faith, belief, motives, and the way that actions are produced in our lives. You see, the way uh, our, our belief or unbelief in these four truths about God uh, will, it will reveal itself in either the poor fruit of unbelief or the good fruit of belief. And so our goal in this series to, is to allow these four truths to press into our hearts so that they might root out unbelief as we begin to see God for who He is. As we begin to see God for what He has done through Jesus, the the one who gives us life, who brings us delight in Him, not because of what we do, right? He does the work. But in these four truths, we see that they tell us who we are in Christ. And then by grace and sanctification, uh, man, uh, my hope and prayers that we were, it would reform our desires to be his desires as the word of truth is laid on our hearts. I mean, my goal and hope is that after four weeks, you can't just re- recite God is great, good, glorious, and gracious. But that you would say no, like when I think about God's greatness... And it makes me realize, like, hey, I, I, I don't have to, I, I don't have to be in control. I, I, I can really sing, hey, uh, man, uh, that, that uh, I want you to break down all that, that your way is better, God. That um, have your way, like whatever you want to do, we make room, right? Because we don't have to be in control. And when you think about God's goodness, that, that we can say, God, man, I, I, because you're so good. And we're going to talk about how we define good according to Scripture today. Man, I don't have to look anywhere else. I can set my gaze upon Jesus. It reminds me of the story in the Gospels when Jesus is walking on the water, right? And Peter says, can I come out? He steps out of the boat in faith and his eyes are on Jesus, the good one. And then in a moment, he looks elsewhere. Out of fear, out of uh, circumstance, out of everything that's going on around him, he begins to sink. And in our lives, man, I, I hope today that we would see, man, that, that, that our eyes and gaze would be set on Jesus in such a way because we know he's good that we could say, hey, I don't have to look at anything else. I don't have to look elsewhere. You see, we need to remember and we need to be reminded. And I think we do that in two ways. We do that by, man, uh, remembering how great God has been and how good God has been, how gracious and glorious He is. But also, like, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I believe that we all struggle with the reality of, uh, of uh, unbelief or uh, of, man, just kind of beginning to uh, believe in ourselves more than we believe in the truth of God. And so we need one another to say, hey, hey, I think right now you're kind of, 
You're seeking control because you're not believing how great God is. I think you're looking elsewhere into those other things, and they can be really, really good things. But you're placing those things in the place God should be. And guess what? It won't bring the goodness you you think it promises. And so we need to remember and we need to be reminded, which led to the second thing we did last week, which we, we looked back at a variety of fads that have come and gone, right? And I loved that. Like even in MC this week, like we talked about other fads and it was just really funny to see like what people were coming up with. And it, it reminded, cause somebody was like, Hey, Doc Martens, right? Like if you remember like seventh and eighth grade, that was my dream. I saved every penny, dime, nickel, quarter, and dollar I had until I could buy a pair of Doc Martens. And then I think after like two weeks, I lost them or something. And and they were gone, right? But they've come back. (laughs) And I want them, right? My daughter has a pair, and I'm like, those are real cool. I, I don't know if I could wear them, but they're like, I want them. But it got me thinking, I was like, man, what are some other things that we want to be reminded of that maybe we've forgotten about? And, you know, we talked about Jinko jeans, like growing up, the jeans that four people could fit in the legs, you know. I, I just want those to come back so I can laugh at just like, oh, that's ridiculous. What were we thinking, right? But there was one more that I was like, man, like, what about pogs? Like, if you remember pogs, right? Like, some about cardboard that me as a kid, like, I didn't know how to play the game, but I just wanted all of them. And so it brought back these memories of, of things that have been. But you see, uh, after thinking back on those things, after thinking back on the reality of our own lives and the ways that we've seen God's greatness, what we did last week is we looked and we said, hey man, the, those things, they, they come and go. But guess what? Jesus' greatness, it never changes. It's always there. He is always ruling and reigning. Even in the darkest moment of the cross when it seemed like all was for naught and that everything was out of control, he was still in control. I love that picture because guess what? Jesus, like he didn't die until he said it's finished and then he gave up his spirit. He was always in control and then he rose again in victory. And so after looking at those things, we finished our time last week looking at the truth that God is great so we don't have to be in control. We looked at the reality that while we would likely all say we believe God to be in control here in our heads, we still seek to control everything. And so while we turn to Him for relief at times, we seek those things without wanting to relinquish control of our lives to Him. You see, ultimately we have to realize that in life we are only safe in the will of God. While His will is hard to understand at times, We have to know and trust that he loves us and he will calm every storm. And so God is great, so we don't have to be in control. Which brings us to our second truth, which is that God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. And I think, again, this is one of those truths, as all of them are, that if you've been in church or around church any uh, amount of time in your life, you'll look at that and you'll say, well, duh, Kyle, God is good. Right, like we have sayings that go along with this. We, we, we say things like, God is good, and then somebody else responds with what? All the time. And then you say, yeah, and all the time, God is good. Totally true, right? True statement, but we just use that statement as a way to just say in the moment, we may not really believe it, we may not really have faith in it, but it's a way for us to maybe uh, uh, keep others at a distance. 
Maybe it's even a way just to say, well, I know it's the right thing to say, although I don't believe it. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And so we walk around and we live life like that. Another way we say that saying without saying God is good is we say, well, I deserve, I'm better than I deserve, right? Which is a fancy way of saying God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. I mean, we teach it to our children, right? Like what's one of the first prayers you learned as a kid? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food, right? Boom, you got that one. Like I remember, like we didn't pray a lot growing up. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, I can remember that. I got, and I'll be like, let me pray, right? Let me do this. And then somebody else did it when I was little and they added something to it. And it just like totally crushed me because they said, by his hands, we are fed. Let us thank him for our daily bread. And I was like, who are you? Like, where did you learn that? But like we teach our children that we say these things. And while we would all likely sit here today and shake our heads affirming that God is good, the question becomes, and I believe it's a question we have to answer today and every day, is what do we mean by good? Like when we think about God, how do we define good? You see, because good is a word that is thrown around in society in so many ways that I believe much of its meaning has been simply generalized and dumbed down in ways that can never begin to express what it means for God to be good. You see, we've taken good things, and what we've said is we said the way we define that is the way we should define God. And guess what? You can't define God in the same way as you can define all the things around you that you say are good. These things break down. God's goodness doesn't. And so what I want to do is I I just want to share really quickly just a a few ways that that we struggle with with defining or or even, uh, man, defining what it means to be good when it comes to talking about God. First, our first problem is when we talk about good or goodness, man, uh, we, we have what we would term as relative goodness. What I mean by that is what I believe to be good you may not think to be good, or you may not think it's as good as I do, right? And then vice versa, right? There are things like when we talk about food, what's something that you love, maybe a food that you love, that everyone else is like, oh, I don't really like that. Long John Silvers. Long John Silvers. <laughs> Woo! Are they still open? Uh, hey, it's okay, I like it too. What else? What's that? Taco Bell. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love Taco Bell. Uh, but it's not good for me. <laughs> Soggy cereal. Like some, yeah, some people love it. I don't mind it. Um, oysters, right? Like some people love oysters. They think, man, oysters are so good. Me? No. Snotball. Like not doing it, you know? Mushrooms. Like no. Dirt sponge. Like not having that. Coconut shavings, right? Toenails. Like not doing it, okay? We all have them though, right? Go eat some coconut today. (laughs) I dare you. We do it with good music, right? Like some of you like country music. Some of you like rap music. Some of you like rock music. Even in Christian music, right? You're like, well, I listen to this kind of Christian music. Well, it's like, well, I listen to this, you know, and both of them are good, but it's like, well, I value or think this one is better. This is how I define good. That doesn't mean those things are not good. They're just at times, it's relative goodness. But guess what? 
When we talk about God being good, we can't talk about him as being relatively good. It's not, hey, it's one mountain and everyone is, is climbing to the top and we'll all get there in the end. That's, that, that's not the story of the gospel. That, that's not the story of scripture. God is the good one. It's not relative. He's so much more. He alone is good and therefore he carries the standard of goodness. So we have relative goodness, but also, like when we talk about goodness, uh, a lot of it, the way we define it, it's self-serving, right? It's self-serving goodness. You see, we define things to be good based on how they make us feel. If it makes me feel good, then it must be good for me. So how many of you remember um, the show Wife Swap, like in the early 2000s? Probably, it, probably it, I don't think it's on anymore. It shouldn't be on. Uh, but what they would do is they would take two families that were total opposites and they would pretty much pit them against one another and they would take the, the wives or the moms and they would put them in different houses for like two weeks. And the first week, that, that, that wife would have to live as that family lived. But then the second week, she gained control and she could do what she wanted to try to implement her rules. And I remember there was this one episode that I saw one time. Uh, and there was a, a family that was super unhealthy in their eating habits. And then this other family, like they, they worked out together. They were always eating healthy. And they swapped. And so this healthy mom gets over to this house and she experiences all the unhealth. This kid's eating chicken nuggets for every meal. He loves like everything about unhealthy food. And he, he, he they get done with the week and she gets her day and she opens the refrigerator and she just starts throwing everything out. And there's this little boy in the episode. Maybe you've seen this clip. And he, man, he needs some discipline. Like, that's a spanking. Uh, like, he needed that in his life. But he's watching her do this. And he's like, you can't throw that away. You No, you can't throw that away. And then she grabs the bacon. And she takes the bacon and she says, bacon in the trash. And he looks at this woman and he says, no, I want my bacon. i got to tell you something, lady. Bacon is good for me. And everybody laughed because it's like, but like he believed that, right? Like to him, bacon was good. Like, and guess what? Bacon is good, but it's not good for us. Also, sausage is, I, I believe sausage is better, but that's just my hot take. Um, but in the moment, what we see is that, that, that so often in life, uh, man, I have something, I think it's good because it's good for me. But it might not be really good for me. And it might not be really good for others. You see, what we're going to see in a moment is that our need to define what is good is actually what got us in trouble in the first place. And then lastly, the way we define good, I believe, is often situational. What's good in one moment might not be so good in another. We seek to control and define goodness on our terms based on our needs and molded by, our, by the desire of the moment. I think about your children, if you have kiddos, or I mean, we were all kiddos at one point. Like, it, guess what? Like, in a situation, you better not touch my toy, but in that same situation, if I deem that I want your toy, I'm going to have it. Because that in the moment is good for me, while you having this is not good for me. We can talk about kids, but guess what? Parents, adults, we do it all, we, we do it the same way, just diff, a little different. And so good, according to how we define it, I believe falls apart when it comes to talking about God being good. So how in the world do we define good when talking about God? Well, I think the best definition that I found this week was this. Divine goodness 
is the overflowing bounty or the overflowing grace of God by which he communicates his blessing to creation and to his creatures. Let me read it again. Divine goodness is the overflowing grace of God by which he communicates his blessing to creation and to his creatures. And so for the rest of our time, what I want to do is I want to do three things. I want to look at the story of creation where we see God's goodness on full display. Secondly, I want to look at how Adam and Eve sought to redefine goodness in the garden and how we continually seek to redefine it today. But in the midst of that brokenness of redefining, what we see in the story is that from the fall, God has promised redemption because he is good. And then lastly, I want us to look at just a story in Luke 10 where we see the good news that Jesus is goodness personified. You see, because ultimately God is good in creation, but when creation, when we seek to redefine creation, man, it, it, like our understanding of goodness breaks. And the only way to get that understanding back and, and to relate and to receive that reality again is for goodness to personify itself in the person and work of Jesus. And so when talking about goodness, we have to look no further than Genesis 1. Where we see that in creation, God displayed just how good he is. And thus set the standard for how we are to define goodness. You see, goodness in the story of creation is defined and marked by who God is and what God does. And this reality, this reality has not changed and never will. Because again, and you've already said it, God is good all the time and all the time he's good. No matter the circumstance or situation. And so in the story of creation, what we see is that when God creates, he sees that which he creates as good. Let me just run through them quickly. He saw the light and he said it was good. When he created the dry land, he said it was so and God saw that it was good. When he created the plants, the trees and all vegetation, he said it was so and God saw that it was good. When he created the sun, moon and stars, it was so and God saw that it was good. When he created all living creatures, he saw that it was good. And then we get to the apex of creation in chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here God creates man and woman. And upon creating them, he looks at all that he's created, and he said, this is very good. The, the, the wording there is, is God is looking upon his creation, and he's saying, this is perfectly perfect. And then he rests. Not that he takes a nap, but he's just like, creation, is, it, it's very good. It's perfectly perfect. You see, in the entire story of creation, what we see is that God, who is good, does all things good. And he displays his goodness through creation. Man, when was the last time you looked around at creation and were just reminded of God's goodness? You sit there and you look at it and you're just in awe of just like, oh man, God, you're good. And if you haven't lately, like I challenge you to, like, man, stay outside a little longer this evening and watch the sunset if you can see it. Wake up, watch the sunrise. Like, go on a trip to where there's some mountains and go for a hike. Like, experience his goodness. Stop as, as cultures and smell the roses. Experience his goodness. Eat a good meal, but as you eat the good meal, remember that, man, God created in us taste buds so that we could experience things. That, that when you smell a good, you know, something that smells good, you're like, man, God, you are good. 
when you hear something, be reminded of His goodness. Because again, that, that creation, it's that creation that we see the, in the beginning of Genesis, His goodness on display. He defines it because He is the source of it. You see, while we see that, a problem arises not much further along in the story. Two chapters later, we see where our problem with defining and searching for goodness began. At the fall, when Adam and Eve took the fruit and ate it, what what they are doing in that moment is they are seeking to redefine what is good. You see, the temptation and the lie of the serpent is, hey, did God say you couldn't have that? What he's doing is he's accusing God before Adam and Eve. He's saying, hey, uh, man, is God and his command to not eat of the fruit really good for you? Like, how could God, how could a good God, the serpent argues, really be good if he keeps something from you? Adam and Eve in the garden believed this lie against the goodness of God and they sought to look elsewhere to define goodness in the hopes that it would provide a goodness they thought they lacked. But you see, goodness was there all along. And since the fall, we have sought in a billion different ways and in countless different moments to define goodness in ways that meet our needs, desires, and insecurities only to be left wanting. At the end of the day, looking anywhere other than God for the goodness our soul needs only leaves us empty. That was the lie of the fruit in the garden. The lie was that the fruit will make you wise. It will make you like God. It will satisfy because God isn't really good and he can't truly satisfy you. It's the lie that there's a deeper need you have and God is either incapable of meeting it or is just plain mean and doesn't want to meet it. He must not want you to feel satisfied. He must not want you to feel good. It was a lie in the garden and it's the lie today. Now in the moment, did the fruit satisfy? Maybe for a moment it did. It was pleasing to the eye and good for food. But then it was gone. Their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and they were ashamed and they hid themselves. The same holds true for us, just like all the things that we look to. Instead of looking to God and seeing Him as good, we look to other things and we say, Oh, that'll satisfy. That, that, that must be really good. And it scratches the itch for a brief moment and then we're left empty. Like think about, like think about your life. Like I, and I just want you to think, like where are the areas in your life? What are the things that you turn to saying, hey, I know God is good, but I'm going to look over here because I think he's withholding something of necessity that I need, or maybe I thought I needed it and I didn't receive it, so I can't trust it anymore. I can't trust him anymore to be good. What are those things you run to on a daily basis? When you get stressed out, when you get worn out, when your spouse or your kids are, are, are uh, maybe uh, they're, they're, um, they're not responding the way you wish them to. What do you do? Do you look and say, hey, in the midst of this, God, you're good? Or do you say, oh, I've got to pull something from elsewhere? 
And then it happens, and man, immediately. It may feel good for just a moment, but then you're left with, oh, what have I done? It's good for a moment, you're left in, but you're only left empty needing to go back to it again and again. Like today, do the things you seek to feel good only leave you wanting? Today, like, are you tired of looking elsewhere? Are we all not worn out with the constant need to define and fulfill the goodness we wrongly believe is lacking in our lives? Man, if you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? Goodness resides in you. It's not something you produce in and of yourself, but man, you are sealed in Christ. The Spirit of God resides in you. Quit looking elsewhere. Where today are you looking elsewhere for goodness that only God can provide? May we stop looking elsewhere and look to God who even in the garden... This is what I love. Man, Adam and Eve, they, they, they turn, uh, from the goodness of God. They, they seek to, to, uh, find goodness elsewhere. And yet God in the midst of it, He says, Hey, here's the consequences of that. But goodness is going to be personified. Uh, an offspring of, a son of Eve is going to come. And Satan, you thought you had the victory. You thought that you've shattered goodness forever. But guess what? You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And in doing so, he's going to display my goodness. So Jesus would come. Goodness personified. The word would put on flesh. And it would dwell among us. And so let's look now at the story in Luke 10 where we see the good news that Jesus is not only good, but that Jesus is good enough, that that His goodness is enough so that we don't have to look elsewhere by reading verses 38 through 41. It says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, so here in Luke 10, we get the story that that many of you might be familiar with. It focuses on Jesus' interaction with two sisters, Mary and Martha. And then now for the sake of our time, I want to go ahead and lay out that when talking about this story and God being good so we don't have to look elsewhere, the focus is on the reality that we all at times are more Martha than we are Mary. We like to think we're Mary, and I want us to be that. But if we're honest, we often live more like Martha. And so in the text, Jesus has entered a village and Martha It says Martha invites him in and those with him into the house. It actually says she welcomes them into her home. You see, her desire up front and her motives are great. She sees Jesus and she longs to be near him because she knows he's good. I mean, I think as we see that, like, good job, Martha. Our lives, like we too would likely say, we too would do the same. We want to be, we say we want to be near to Jesus because we know him to be good. And so Jesus enters the home and begins to teach. And while he is teaching, Martha's sister Mary 
has sat at Jesus' feet and is listening to his teaching. And so we see Martha welcome him in. We say, good good job, Martha. And then we see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. We say, good job, Mary. But the question we have to ask is, where's Martha? Well, what we find is that as Jesus teaches, Martha has become distracted with serving. And in the midst of trying to do everything to prove her love, devotion, and goodness to Jesus, she goes to Jesus in frustration. And she says, hey, Jesus, why don't you care that Mary has left me to serve alone? Will you do something about this? This is not good, Jesus. You see, Martha... In the midst of trying to secure Jesus' approval and therefore promote her own goodness, she becomes discouraged because she's forgotten the main reason she sought to invite Jesus in, simply that He is good and she wants to be near Him. You see, while Martha believes Jesus to be good, she has sought to look elsewhere to secure feeling good about herself. And Jesus just won't allow her in this moment to define goodness that way. So look at Jesus' response. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but only one thing is required. Mary has chosen the good portion. Some of your translation might say, Mary has chosen the good thing. And that will not be taken from her. There it is. Martha has sought to define herself as good by what she does and what others think about her doing rather than simply sitting with Jesus who is goodness personified. Martha is looking elsewhere to find security and grasp that which is good when Jesus the good king was with her all along. And look at the result. Angst, anger, frustration, longing, unmet expectations. And so today in your life, where are you looking for the good that only Jesus can provide? And and man, are you not worn out and frustrated? That time and time again, like you keep running back, as that scripture called these broken cisterns. For some of you today, and, and maybe myself, like it's, man, you're running to, uh, man, the goodness of family, a job, your, the, the value that you perceive that you have or long to have, money, friendships, relationships, service. Again, good things. But when you make it an ultimate thing, when you put all that weight on it, guess what? It can't hold up. For some, maybe today you're stuck in a past version of goodness that you've defined as the only time when things were good. We do that a lot, right? Like in our faith or just in life, we say, well, if I could just get back to that point. If I, if I could just get back there. If those things in the past, if that wouldn't have happened, then God would be good. For some, for others, maybe you only define good in the moment and so you move to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. For some, your sights are set solely on the good of the future. But man, that's a race that will always be out of reach and will never provide what it promises. Your house can't get big enough. Your bank account can't get big enough. Whatever else it is that you're running after and searching for, it may feel good for a moment, but it's going to be fleeting, right? This weekend, our women 
we're at if and, and Haley got home last night and she was just kind of telling me like the highlights and and she told me the story of this woman uh, named Catherine Wolf that, that some of you might know like Catherine I believe she had a stroke and she's dealt with these health issues for years and and she was talking what she was sharing she said you know uh, man uh, something I've noticed about my life in recent years is that uh, for so long I held on to uh, this thing and I thought that because this thing happened that God couldn't be good and she said, I don't know what's happened, but since she was talking to someone, she said, I began to realize, like, man, that, that thing, like, it, it still hurts, it's still painful, but guess what? Like, she said, I don't know, like, I don't think about it the same way any longer. And, and I, I'm probably going to butcher how the conversation went, because I didn't watch it or see it, but uh, the gist of it, in, in response, this other person said, well, maybe, maybe you're just, you're learning now that, man, that, that just being in the moment and seeing God good today, that, that loving Him today is enough. And that it's good. And that it's okay to love Him today and that that's enough. And today, like, can you love your life now? Simply because God, because God is good and He's in it. No matter what you have going on, no matter what has happened to you, uh, no matter what the future holds. Can you say, God, at times I don't understand it. There are moments where I wrestle, but I'm going to continue to say, you're good. So how do we combat this? Well, it's in the same way we combated the last one, repentance and faith. That we would look to Jesus, seeing Him as good, having faith in His goodness. I love what Jesus says. He he says, man, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. He, He says, man, I can provide rest because guess what? Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for His sheep. Jesus is the good king that is so good you don't have to look elsewhere. And the reason we know this is because, man, Jesus came and He didn't seek to look elsewhere to provide or prove His goodness. Jesus actually said, no, God, not my will, but yours be done. He displayed the goodness of God upon the cross. I think even if you look at Jesus' life, they say, man, this guy's from Nazareth. Like, can anything good come from Nazareth? But upon the cross, a place where nothing, uh, everyone looked at and said, nothing good can come from the cross. And yet the gospel is the good news story that in Christ, we don't have to look elsewhere because he provides all things that are good. And so today, may we give up looking elsewhere and instead come to the feet of Jesus and choose the good portion and rest in Him. Quit looking elsewhere. Look to Jesus. You see, I think when we quit looking elsewhere and we look to Jesus, that actually frees us up to do good. We're not doing good so that we can receive good, but because we've received good, therefore we say, no, I don't have to look anywhere else. And now I'm freed up to actually go do good. The good works that were prepared beforehand in Christ. And so today, where do you find yourself looking? What is your elsewhere? And my prayer for you, my challenge to you is that you would give that to Jesus. That you would repent and say, Jesus, let me set my gaze upon you. And you alone. And so I'm going to have the team come back up. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to just take a moment. 
I want you to just take a moment and just, man, ask God. If you don't know what that elsewhere is, ask God, where, where in my life do I seek to turn to in these moments when I don't believe you're good? And repent of that. Maybe you know that area. Repent of that. Say, God, give me faith to set my eyes upon you. And today, maybe you're hearing this for the first time and you're like, man, what does this good even mean? Like, what, what is this good news? Man, today, man, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, man, it's not just the, the, the best thing. Like, it is the best thing you can do. It's to, to, to experience His goodness and to turn away from all the things that are, that are saying, no, this is good and this is good and this is good. No, He is the good one. And so I invite you to turn to Him today. If you don't know Jesus, man, come talk to me. And I would love to talk to you about what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And so I'm going to give you just a moment. And then after I, you take a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then once I'm done praying, if I can get those that are going to be passing out the elements for communion to come forward. And I'm going to lead us in our time in communion. Where we're going to sit and we're going to sit in that reality of Jesus' goodness. So you take a moment and then I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you're good. And we thank you that, that you are goodness personified, that, that modeled for us what it looks like to set our gaze upon the Father. We thank you that through you that we have access to God. God, may we be reminded that it, that, that is very, very good. That it is enough. And so Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord, whatever it is, whatever area uh, of elsewhere that we run to. God, may we be quick to repent of it. That we would not walk in shame as we become even aware of it. But God, that we would cling to your grace. That we would cry out for you for strength. That we would uh, invest our lives in community so that we might be sharpened more into your image. And God, that in understanding that grace, we might be freed up to go and do good for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.